Well, let me thank you again for the opportunity to be with you this morning. And we're going to be in the book of Colossians. That's just a bit of a heads up as to where we're going to be. But just before we open God's word, let's pray and ask for God's help with us this morning. God, thank you that we have the opportunity to open your word. And thank you that we can celebrate that we have and we serve a faithful God. And be with us now, Lord, as we open your word. Guide us as we read the words that you have penned. And I pray that you would illuminate the areas of our lives that you want us to change. Speak this now, we pray. In your name. Amen. Well, the 18th of January, nearly a month on from Christmas, pretty hard to believe, isn't it? All the fuss about the turkey, all the stress about Brian presents for friends and family and Christmas has come and gone in an absolute flash and even you two or three weeks on back to work may already be feeling the need for a holiday anyone feeling like that again but fear not only 341 days till Christmas 2015 that maths degree still comes in handy but I love Christmas and I want to share with you this morning uh, one of the films that I watched this Christmas in fact I watch this film every Christmas it's my favorite Christmas movie and it's a film called Elf anyone seen the film Elf any fans of the film a lot of fans good I love the film Elf. If you're not aware of the storyline of Elf, let me explain it to you. So basically, you've got this guy called Buddy. And Buddy, who's played by Will Ferrell, through a strange set of circumstances, is born and raised in the North Pole with Santa and his elves. But one day, Papa Elf comes to Buddy, and he gives him some devastating news, like earth-shattering news. Papa Elf comes to Buddy, and he says, Buddy, you're actually not an elf. Actually, you're a human being, and your family live in New York. I don't, you can see the picture. I don't know what gave it away that Buddy wasn't actually an elf. But actually, he's a human being, and his family live in New York. And so as the film unfolds, we follow Buddy on his adventure to try and be reunited with his family. And well, when Buddy arrives in New York, he experiences a massive culture shock. This elf man, you can see no harm in anyone, goes around the streets picking up chewing gum off the pavement and eating it. He's able to make like 10,000 snowballs in 10 seconds, and for breakfast, eats spaghetti with about two liters of maple syrup, crushed candy, and marshmallows. And in the process, Buddy manages to do just about everyone's head in. Like, everyone is infuriated by Buddy. He's in the middle of New York City center, and he is suffering an extreme identity crisis. And your identity is important, right? Who you think you are, who you perceive yourself to be, is of infinite importance. And here's why. Your identity, who you perceive yourself to be will greatly affect what you do. Buddy thought he was an elf. That was the identity that he had assigned himself. And that's why he acted in a certain way, even though he was living in the city center of New York. But like Buddy, you have assigned yourself an identity. And that will greatly affect your actions. You might be here this morning and you would say, well, my identity is that I'm wealthy. That's who I am. That's who people perceive me to be. And so out of that identity, you'll say, well, I have to wear the latest brands, I have to wear the nicest clothes, I have to drive the nicest car because I need to live up to my identity. You might be here and you would say, well, my identity is that I'm an athlete. I'm a winner, I'm a champion, I'm the one who runs the fastest, jumps the highest, lifts the heaviest, that's me. And so my training regime will reflect that because that's my identity. You might be here, maybe a young person, and you would say, well, my identity is that I'm a rebel. I'm the black sheep of the family, and so because of that identity, I'm not going to listen to anything you say. I'm not going to take your advice because I'm going to continue acting in my own mysterious, devious ways because that's my identity. That's who I am. And in Balamina, we've been looking through the book of Ephesians, and we've been kind of studying this idea of identity, and we've seen some absolutely massive themes come out of the book of Ephesians. And we keep seeing this repeated phrase, in Christ. 
And what we discovered is that actually when you come to Christ, when you turn from your sin and you follow Jesus, you become a Christian, you receive a whole new identity. God gives you a new identity. And we've been seeing these massive themes of in Christ. In Christ, you're accepted. In Christ, you're chosen. In Christ, you're forgiven. In Christ, you're lavished with grace. And it's vital that as Christians that we understand our identity because that will greatly affect what we do. That's why Satan, when he attacks you, will often make you question and doubt who you are. Because he knows that if he can make you forget who you are in Christ, it will greatly affect your work for Christ. And so what I'd like to do this morning is lift out a few instructions from the book of Colossians in chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, please turn there. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses. I'm reading from the New Living Translations. The word will be on the screen. Um, But if you have a different version with you, please um, open it up and follow along with me. And in this passage, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul shows us what a life that has received a new identity in Christ should look like. So while you're turning to Colossians, or maybe you're already there, let me bring you up to speed um, where we're at in Colossians chapter 3. Let me give you a bit of the context. So basically, like Ephesians, Colossians is a letter. It's wrote by a man named Paul. Paul was formerly called Saul. He was a persecutor of the Christian faith. He despised the gospel. He despised Christianity. He despised Jesus Christ. He had one goal, and that goal was to eliminate Christianity from the Roman Empire. But one day as Saul was traveling on the Damascus road, Christ appeared to him. And at the sheer presence of Christ, Saul was blinded, and he turned from his sin, he followed Jesus, and he went on to nearly write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. And his name changed to Paul. And it's Paul who's writing this letter to a church in Colossae. Colossae is a city, probably not as big as Ephesus, but it still inherits all the features that cities have. So think about cities that you know, Belfast, Dublin, London. Think about what they're like. Hustle, bustle, trade, tourism, loads of different people of different backgrounds, upbringings, religions. That's city life, and that's where Paul is writing to, a small church in Colossae. And so this church would meet on a Sunday the way you do. They would fellowship, they would praise, they would sing, they would worship. And then they would go out during the week the same way you do as you work your job, as you go to uni, as you go to school. And so up until this point, Paul has been affirming the church in Colossae about their identity in Christ. Looking at those things that we mentioned, that in Christ you're accepted, you're chosen, you're forgiven. And now we're in chapter 3 saying, okay, I've told you what your identity is, I've told you what that is, but what does that look like? Practically every day, what does that look like? And you might be here this morning and you might have that same question. As you go to work, as you're in the office with loads of different people who have different backgrounds and upbringings and pursue different dreams and different goals, maybe as you're at uni or you're at school and you see loads of different people, I mean, everyone else in my class spends their weekend getting drunk at house parties and nightclubs, what do I do? Where do I fit in as a Christian? How do I live as a Christian in this environment? Everyone else in my office spends their day stealing time off the boss, telling crude jokes, indulging in inappropriate banter. Where do I fit in? What's my identity? How do I live as a Christian in this environment? Do I conform to them? Do I just become like them? Do I dip my toe in the water just a little bit and just sacrifice my holiness just a tad to the point of acceptance? Or do I completely refrain? Do I completely isolate myself and appear to be this sort of weirdo? And so now we're in chapter 3 and Paul's saying, okay, I've told you your identity. I've told you who you are, but this is what it looks like. This is what a life that has been transformed by Christ, that has received a new identity in Christ, should look like. Or put in most basic, simple terms, this is what a faithful Christian should look like. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 11. 
Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and your wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or civilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. So as I said, what I would like to do with this passage is lift out three instructions that Paul gives us of how we should live in light of our new identity. So the first one is this. Because of your new identity in Christ, you should have an eternal perspective. Read verse one with me again. Since you have been raised to life with Christ, set your sights on the things of heaven. Verse two says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. As Christians, we should have an eternal perspective, but what does this mean? Well, it means not just living today for today, but living your life remembering that one day you will see Jesus face to face. One day you're gonna give an account for your life, eternally. One day you will eternally reap what you sow in this life, on this earth. The best illustration I've seen of this is by a guy named Francis Chan. You've probably seen it. If you haven't seen this illustration, let me encourage you to look it up when you go home. But basically, he gets this massive long rope. It's like 30 or 40 meters of black rope. And at one end of the rope, he's attached about two or three inches of red tape. And he says, okay, take this massive long piece of rope, this like 30, 40 meter stretch of rope, and I want you to imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. And in reality, the rope would go on forever, right? Because you just exist forever. But then he points to the little red bit and he says, you see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. So you've got a few short years here on earth and then comes all of eternity somewhere else. And he says, the crazy thing is that so many of us, particularly in this Western world, even as Christians, we are consumed by the red part. It's all we think about. Am I going to eat well? Am I going to sleep well? Am I going to get a good job? Am I going to get a nice wife, a nice husband? Am I going to have a happy retirement? We're consumed by it. And we completely neglect the millions and millions of years will follow. And he says it's crazy because the Bible teaches that what we do in this little red part determines how we're going to exist for millions of millions of years. And so he urges us, don't get caught up in this illusion. Don't just live your life thinking about your time on earth, but think about the years to follow. Think about that moment when you cross the finish line and you see Jesus face to face. How does that affect your decisions? And I was thinking about how this would affect my life if I was to live with an eternal perspective. And let me invite you to ask yourself the same. How does that affect how we talk to each other? How does that affect how we interact with each other? How does that affect how we spend our money? How does that affect how we use our time? Living with an eternal perspective doesn't mean that your job isn't important. It doesn't mean that family isn't important, that your exams aren't important, but it 
greatly changes how we view those things. It changes how I talk to people at work. It changes how I treat my employees. It changes how I talk about my boss behind his back. Living with an eternal perspective changes how I study for my exams because I know that one day I'm going to give an account to the creator of this world on how I use the gifts and abilities that he blessed me with. And Paul, who's writing this, also says in Philippians that in earthly terms, he had everything. Like if we're just talking about the red part, he says, I had it all. I had status, I had fame, I had wealth, I had education, I had it all. I ticked all the boxes. But when I came to Christ, when I became a Christian and received a new identity, I considered all that stuff as waste, as rubbish, literally as garbage. Because when Christ saved Paul, he gave him an eternal perspective. And so Paul is saying to the Colossians, guys, don't live for this life. Don't get caught up in this illusion. Don't waste your life. Instead, use your life. Invest your life in something so much greater. Build up treasures in heaven, not here on earth, where they'll spoil and fade. And so let me encourage us as Christians this week to live with an eternal perspective. That may look like a number of different things for you. Maybe there's a non-Christian friend that you've had who up until this point, you've maybe wished out of sharing your faith. You thought... How's that going to affect me? What are they going to say? How's that going to affect my popularity next week? I'll make it awkward in the office, won't it? But Paul would say, hey, zoom out. Think about the bigger picture. Don't just think about the consequences of next week or next year or 10 years' time. Think about the consequences of 100 years' time, a 1,000 years' time, a million years' time. Firstly, because of our new identity in Christ, we should have an eternal perspective. Secondly, Because of our new identity in Christ, you should get rid of your old sinful nature. Verse 5, read it with me. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. What Paul is emphasizing here is that when you're in Christ, you don't do the things that you once did. That way of life doesn't appeal to you anymore because ultimately because of your new identity you have new desires. And above any earthly desire is a desire to love Jesus and to serve others. And as you watch the news or read the newspaper and see the brokenness of our fallen world, it should stir up something inside you. As you think about the way you used to live before you received a new identity in Christ, it should make you sick to your stomach. Let me give you a woeful example, but I like BPM. Um, for anyone who doesn't know what BPM is, it's an energy drink. Um, and for you, if you're not a BPM connoisseur like myself, let me explain BPM to you. So there's two types of BPM. There's green BPM, which is the citrus flavor. Then there's red BPM, which is the berry flavor. And back when my BPM drinking career started, way back in 2008, I used to like the green BPM. That was my favorite BPM. I used to drink it all the time. I loved it. But one day... Little Matthew drank too much green BPM and he started to feel a little bit queasy and so he ran to the toilet and he was sick. Nice imagery for you on a Sunday morning, isn't it? But ever since that moment, my desire switched. I no longer like green BPM, I hate it. Now I like red BPM, that's my flavor of choice. And I drink it all the time, I love red BPM, it's amazing. If I was to taste green BPM, I would be sick. In fact, even thinking about green BPM makes me a little bit queasy. Because my desires have changed. And that, in a very weak, pale comparison, is similar to how you should view your old way of life when you receive a new identity in Christ. 
something inside you changes. Suddenly your desires are different. Suddenly your actions change. The sins that once looked appealing, that once gripped you, no longer have that effect. And even though sometimes we do give in to those desires, that sick feeling should come back and drive us to repentance. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. And let me say this, the most miserable people in this world are not non-Christians. The most miserable people in this world are Christians who are living in disobedience to God. Christians who have received a new identity but are not living out of that new identity. Christians who are still holding on to their old sinful nature. And the reason is this, because when you become a Christian, God's Holy Spirit comes into your life. And if you're not feeding him with what he craves, scripture, prayer, fellowship, if rather you're feeding him with what Satan offers, whatever that may be, drunkenness, lust, greed, pride, it's going to make you sick. It's going to make you miserable. And the reason I say that is because I can clearly look back on my own life as a Christian. And I can see the times where I haven't fully submitted to Christ. I can see the times where I've been holding on to my sinful nature. And I can honestly say that those are the times when I'm most miserable. And maybe you can relate to that as you reflect in your own life as a Christian. And the reason is simple. Jesus says himself, we cannot serve two masters because you will hate one and love the other. Verse 7 says, you used to do these things. And as you reflect, let me ask you this. What sins do you need to repent from? To repent literally means to turn away. What sins do you need to turn away from? Paul, in writing this, got rid of his sinful nature immediately, right? His old self got completely changed when he had that encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road. I mean, he once was a persecutor of the gospel, but through Christ he became a messenger of the gospel. He once was a slave to sin, but through Christ he became a slave to righteousness. He once was an enemy of God, but through Christ he became a friend of God, adopted into his family, and he even received a new name. But as Christians, because of our new identity, like Paul, we should no longer hold on to the sins that Christ went to the cross from. We should get rid of our old sinful nature. Thirdly and finally, because of your new identity in Christ, put on your new nature. Read verses 10 and 11 with me. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Put on your new nature. How does Paul say to do it? Well, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Paul's saying this, when you spend time with someone, you become like them, don't you? You start to pick up their habits. You start to pick up their character traits. Have you ever noticed this? Some of you may not have been born and raised in Belfast. Maybe you're Bluins. Maybe you were born in Coleraine or born and raised in Derry or England or further afield. But now that you've been living in Belfast for a, a little while, you notice that you start to do things that Belfast people do. You start to say Belfast phrases. You start to speak with a little bit of a Belfast accent. Never a good thing. You probably don't want it in a minute. But it's true. And the reason for that is that we imitate each other. We become like the people we spend time with because we're humans and that's what we do. And this is what Paul is emphasizing to the church in Colossae. He says, look, I know you're living in a big city with loads of non-Christians. I know you're working with non-Christians, and that's a good thing. Don't lose that contact with the outside world. But as you work with Christians, as you live with Christians, as you play with Christians, as you walk the class with Christians, 
Don't conform to them. Don't be shaped and molded by them, but rather be shaped and molded by Christ as you live life with them so that they may see Christ in your life and desire that above all things. And we're a few weeks into January now. So I wonder how your New Year's resolution's going. Three weeks this is about the time when we all pack it in, right? But uh, I bet if I was to do a survey of the room and ask you all, you know, what was your New Year's resolution for 2015? I bet I could tell you what was number one. You probably know what it is. I bet if I was to do a survey, everyone would say, I want to lose weight. I want to transform my body. And I'm no uh, fitness instructor or personal trainer by any stretch of the imagination, but I do know this, that you don't achieve your ideal body weight. You don't lose 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds overnight, right? I mean, it takes time. It takes weeks, sometimes even months of hard work. And gradually as you do that, your body will begin to transform. So they tell me I've never made it past week two. But the same is true when we come to Christ. Paul says it's really hard work. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7 that you have to train yourself to be holy. It's difficult. Just like when you go to the gym, you have to go to the gym as someone who's out of shape and train and work hard and diet. And gradually your body will begin to transform. In a similar way, when you come to Christ, you come to him out of shape. You come to him with your baggage, with your pain, with your sin, with your tainted history. And gradually as you spend time with him, as you develop your relationship with him, he'll begin to take you on this journey of becoming more like himself. And each of us are at different stages of that journey of becoming more like Christ if you're a Christian. And so finally, let me ask you this. What can help you make progress in your journey of becoming more like Christ in 2015? What can help you make progress in your journey of becoming more like Christ in 2015? Maybe you're here and you say, well, I struggle with prayer. I find it really tough. I know it's fundamental to me growing in my faith. I know it's fundamental to, for me to become more like Christ, but I just find it difficult. Maybe for you, you need to find a, a prayer partner, someone who can text you every morning and say, hey, just thank God for a new day. Hey, just ask God to help you be a witness in your work this morning. Maybe you need to go home and get your diary out and block out Wednesday nights or Saturday mornings and say, Wednesday night's prayer meeting. I'm going to go to the church prayer meeting because I know that as I pray with fellow believers in community, it's going to greatly encourage me to pray in my own personal time. Maybe you would say, oh, well, I struggle with the Bible. I find it hard to read. Sometimes I read it. I don't understand what's going on. I get demoralized to the point where I just don't read it at all. Maybe for you in 2015, you should try and find someone who's a little bit further on in their journey of becoming more like Christ and say, just send them a text. Hey, can we meet up once a week, once a month? Can we chat things through? Can we talk about the Bible? Can we share experiences? Can you kind of mentor me so that I can be shaped and molded by you as you are shaped and molded by Christ? Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I'm not a Christian. This journey that you're talking about, I'm not a part of this journey. I've never confessed Christ as Lord. Well, let me encourage you especially to turn from your sin. Follow Jesus, receive a new identity, a new heart, new mind, new desires. To live your life on earth for him and to live one day in eternity with him. To fulfill the very purpose and the very reason that you were created. Wouldn't it be great if one year from now we could all look back to January 2015 and say, you know what? I'm so much further on in my journey of becoming more like Christ than I was 12 months ago. And I hope that that's your prayer this morning. And so let me encourage you all and myself to live out of our new identity in Christ this year.